The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. John chapter 6 this morning. Um, before we start our communion service, it's, it's imperative, if you're a guest or visitor here, to sort of understand what's happening. I always like to make sure that when people come, they get a sense of what's happening here. Um, we're about to partake in the Lord's table, which is an ordinance that was given to the church. And so when I say the church, I mean those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We've got to be careful. Sometimes we come to church or a religious gathering, and we sort of assume that we are in or that we're believers or that we know Christ. But the folks who will partake this morning are folks who've understood that we are sinners by nature and sinners by choice. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. We have rebelled against the holy God of heaven, and we are condemned in his sight. There is no hope for the sinner who has moved and run away from God. We are justly condemned. And if left in that state, we know and believe that we would die and be separated from God for all eternity in a place called hell. It's terrible. It's frightening. And Jesus speaks about this much in the Gospels. He warns people. And if that were the end of the story, we would all be most miserable. But it's not. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, that on Calvary Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath of God on his own head. The perfect one became sin for me and sin for you, that we could now be made righteous in God's sight. And that doesn't happen from works. It doesn't happen from religion. It doesn't happen from community service. It happens when by faith we repent and call upon Christ and Christ alone. And so our prayer is this. As you hear this morning, because I promise you from our text, there will be things, if this is your first time here or maybe visiting, that will seem really strange, really strange from John 6. And maybe even the elements themselves not understanding. But know this, everything we do today points to the finished work of Christ and the hope we have in a Savior who is the only name under heaven whereby we must be saved. And our goal this morning is to exalt Jesus Christ. So, if you don't know that this morning, we pray that you would come to a saving knowledge of Christ. John chapter 6. We must first understand the context of what's happening here. In chapter 5, just prior to this, Jesus heals a lame man who's been lame for 38 years. Chronic pain, chronic suffering, without hope. And Jesus then miraculously heals him. It's it's, it's a great display of his power. There's one problem. He does it on the Sabbath day. And the religious leaders now want to kill him because he healed completely on the Sabbath. And so we start chapter 5 in that, and then Jesus continues teaching, and he makes these outrageous claims. He makes himself equal with God. And then he goes on. He says that he alone gives life to who he wills, that the dead will hear his voice and live, that he will judge the world, and that all scripture, all scripture points to him. My friend, listen to me. 
Those claims cannot be ignored. Either, as Lewis says, Christ was a lunatic and didn't know reality, or he was the devil from hell with what he said, or he was the Lord God in the flesh. There are no other options. And so Jesus makes this clear. And in the midst of all of this, his popularity is soaring. A matter of fact, so much so that as he's preaching and teaching, 5,000 men plus women and children are following him. We don't know the exact numbers, maybe 10, 15, up to 20,000 people in his teaching ministry right now. But we come to John chapter 6, and his um, popularity is about to plummet. So, we begin chapter, chapter 6, 5,000 men plus women and children, they're here teaching, they're exhausted, and so Jesus does the miracle that I'm sure you're familiar with, he feeds the 5,000. And not just everyone gets a scrap, I mean, he feeds them until they're full. As the creator of all things, he feeds them, they're full, they're happy, they're content, they have leftovers to boot, and as the people hearing his teaching experience this, they say, isn't this the prophet that we've been waiting for? Isn't this the one we're looking to? We should make him king. And they rush around him, and they want to make him king. Verse 15 of our text says this, When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again into the mountain himself alone. The story, story continues. And so he sends the disciples across the sea to Capernaum. And you know that during that journey, they're in a storm. Jesus then comes to them in the middle of the night. He calms the storm. They end up on the other side. And then comes the next day. And the folks who were well-fed, who were full the day before, go figure. Today, they're hungry again. And they want to find Christ. And so they search for him. They find out he's on the other side. The crowd comes to him. And, and they come, and Jesus knows the reason why they're coming. Verse 26 of John Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Jesus says, hey folks, the gig is up. I know why you're here today. You saw the miracles, you heard the teaching, but that's not what you're here for. You're hungry again. And you got a free lunch. And so now you're back for a free lunch. He pegged it. That's exactly what they were doing. They wanted to eat again. We have missionaries in the Far East and in Africa, and they have a statement that they use for churches there. They call them rice churches, which means that, that they'll put a sign out front, and to get people to come, they just give them free food. We're not against free food for people who are hungry and needy. But they do this in these rice churches just to grab a crowd, just to take a picture, just to say, look at what we have. Rice churches are nothing new. They started a long time ago in this bread church. Right? People were coming just for the food. So Jesus addresses this. Verse number 27. He says, labor not for the meat or the food which perishes, but for the meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. And Jesus now is about to teach them 
a great truth. He says, there's two kinds of bread. There's the material bread. There's the physical bread that you're after right now. You're hungry and you want food. But I want you to know something. This bread does not last. And if you're here this morning and you've ever raised teenagers, you know this is true. You can't keep them fed. I mean, you buy the groceries, you bring them home, and they're gone. They're gone. And Jesus says, you keep buying, this bread will not suffice. But there's a spiritual bread. He says, it endures to everlasting life. This bread rescues us from the emptiness of this life. And so he starts to teach them and instruct them. And it's interesting to me, what they do here next as a crowd is what almost all of us do sometime in our life. Have you ever introduced yourself to someone and said, hey, my name is Rick, what's your name? You don't know them, or maybe you should know them because they've been coming for 18 years here. What's your name? And they tell you their name. I'm so-and-so, so-and-so. And 10 seconds after that, it dawns on you, you don't know their name. Right? And now you're scrambling because your mind is racing. Do you know why you don't know their name? You weren't listening. You were thinking about something in your own head, thinking about what came next, thinking about what you want to say. And these people do the exact same thing. Jesus just said, hey, there's a spiritual bread, and it comes from me. And they completely miss it. So, in verse 28... They say to Jesus, after just completely missing what he said, then say that unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Right Now, now remember why they're here. They're here for a free lunch, but they're not going to try to be spiritual with this superficial question. Hey, what do we have to do to work the works of God? And Jesus is very clear here in the next verse. He says, nothing. He answered, this is the work of God, that you believe on me. There is no way into heaven by what you do. It does not happen. It is not our works. It is not our effort. It is not in a performance. It is through Christ alone. Alone. That is the only work that is acceptable. Now, after the superficial question about how they can be spiritual, we get to the real reason why they came. Verse number 30. They said, therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so what they're saying is, okay, yeah, whatever, we won't do that. But, but so what can you do for us? Moses fed Israel six days a week for 40 years. They just got a free lunch, and now they're saying to Jesus, that's what Moses did, what you got? What can you do? How can you supply our needs? We would like to have a free lunch for the next 40 years. That'd be a great deal. Here's what Jesus says, verse 32. Verily, verily, I say to you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. 
Jesus said, I am the bread of heaven. Is it any surprise that Jesus Christ is born in Bethlehem? You know, Bethlehem means the house of bread. And Jesus says, I want you to know something. Your mind is still on the physical, but I'm telling you something. I am the bread of life. And so they hear this, and the very next verse tells us they're still thinking about lunch. They're thinking, thinking about 40 years of food, and he says he's got bread. They say, Lord, evermore give us this bread. This is what we want. This is why we came. And now in verse 35, Jesus will make one of the seven statements, the I am statements. And it's important, because that's how God reveals himself in the Old Testament. Moses said, who should I say send in me? And he said, tell them I am that I am. And Jesus in the book of John will say, I am the light, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We heard just a minute ago, I am the vine. And now he says, I am the bread of life. Verse 35, he that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. And so then Jesus goes off and starts to teach again, spiritually. Look at verse number 51. Jesus says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now let's be honest. You're in the crowd. You're looking for lunch. And Jesus starts talking about this bread from heaven, and now he says, the bread I'm talking about, it's my flesh. Would you not be slightly disturbed by that statement? Right? If you're just hearing his words just like that, I will give you my flesh and it will give you life, you've got to think, oh my goodness, what in the world is he talking about? And that's what happens in verse 52. The Jews are a little upset here. They strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat. What is he talking about? Is he speaking of cannibalism here? That's crazy. Now listen, if I was speaking and I said something and you could tell by the crowd that they just didn't get it, I would be tempted to stop and say, okay, listen, wait, 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 wait. Here's what I'm talking about. It's obvious. You think this, but that's not what I'm saying. Jesus doesn't do that. A matter of fact, he makes it worse. I mean, a lot worse. He doesn't stop and say, oh, you, you've misunderstood me here. He's about to dive in, and what he's about to say is crazy to hear. Right? But remember, the reason they came had nothing to do with spiritual life. They came for the physical. And now Jesus is about to pour it on. Listen to his words now in verses 53 through 57. Instead of explaining himself, Clearing up the misunderstanding, here's what Jesus says. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. And guess what happens? His popularity 
plummets. They're done. They hear this, and the Bible says that from that day, many people walked away from Christ. So much so that he looks to the twelve and says, are you taken off too? And Peter finally gets it, revealed by the Spirit of God, says, Lord, where are we going? You have the words of eternal life. So, with that text and what we're doing this morning, let me give you some clues on what's happening here in John chapter 6. Remember, the whole conversation is between the physical and the spiritual. These 5,000 plus are thinking of one thing. They want their bellies full. They want to be physically satisfied. And Jesus says there's a greater value. It's the spiritual. And if you don't get it, you should again read verse 57 where he says, the living Father sent me, right? The Father is spirit. And Jesus says, I live off of him, right? I get my sustenance, my strength. It comes from above. Therefore, in verse 57, as I live off the Father, you must live off of me. I am your strength. I am your sustenance. I am the one that keeps this all together. And then for those who still didn't get it, verse number 63 says this. Jesus says, The Spirit, it's the Spirit that quickeneth. It's the Spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Here's the point of the text. The point is that all of this, all that Jesus says, he's saying to us this morning that he is our sustenance. He is our nourishment. He is the one that is keeping our souls together. It's not by accident he says, eat my body. I am the bread of heaven. Bread in the Bible, was known as the staff of life. It meant if you had bread, you lived. It became synonymous with life, that bread is life, so basic that that's what it was deemed to be. And the Bible uses phrases like the bread of wickedness, the, the bread of deceit, meaning that wickedness and deceit become part of us. You are what you eat is what we say. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Like the bread, Christ's life enters us spiritually. He is the one that sustained us. But not only the body and the bread, but the blood. He talks about it here in our text, about the blood. And what happens in our life is when we think of blood, we think of death. Right? I mean, you start losing blood, you're dying. And we know that to be true, and we... Come this morning, understanding the shed blood of Christ. He gave his life for me. But that's not all there is about blood. It's not just death. The truth is, the Bible says that the life of the flesh is in the blood. That it is blood that gives us life. It is blood that nourishes us. And what Christ is saying is, listen to me. I want you to know something. This life cannot be lived unless you partake of me. My body, my blood, my power, my sustenance. It's life-giving. Believer, Christ has come that you and I can have life today. That's what we're doing here. Two services ago, um, after communion, Judy Cameron Jr. I know that's confusing, but he married someone the same name as his mother. All right? What's that? 
Pete. Judy Pete. Oh, they don't call you Junior? Okay, Judy Pete. You probably don't like Judy Junior, do you? Judy Pete. Um, it wasn't Judy Cameron. It was Judy Pete. Came and said, hey, listen, have you ever heard the book by Dr. Paul Brand? And I said, no. She said, you should look at it. So I actually listened, and I looked. I do listen every now and then, once in a blue moon. Dr. Paul Brand was a surgeon. He's now dead. I think he died in 2003. But he was a pioneer in tendon replacement for lepers. He, he, worked, he worked first in World War II, I think, then in India, and then he was working in the United States at a leper colony. And he pioneered. He was a brilliant man. And he gives, he gives a story in this book, Fearfully and Wonderfully, I think is the name of the book. And he talks about being a young uh, orderly, I guess. He was, he was in training, and he hated blood. It was just like, I can't stand the sight of it, until an event happened that changed him. He was in an ER room, and they brought a woman in who was in an accident, lost a tremendous amount of blood. It was so bad that when they looked at her, he, as a young man, thought certainly she was dead. She looked like a wax figure. Um, there was no color in her skin. Her red lips were now discolored as well. They were pale, and her brown hair looked jet black in comparison. So they had him take her, take her pulse. So he sat next to the woman and tried to feel her pulse. There was nothing as far as he could tell. And then the doctor said, grab the blood, do the transfusion. They grabbed the blood, they started the transfusion, and then after a few moments, he thought, is that her pulse, is that my finger? They brought more blood, and then he realized it wasn't his pulse, it was hers. And as the blood came into her life, from pale waxy, all of a sudden, he could feel a pulse, and it was getting stronger. And then he looked at her face, and there was a, this little tinge of pink uh, on her cheeks. And then her lips started to change, and then the color of her entire body changed, and then her eyes fluttered, and then there was a, a sigh and life, and she opened her eyes, and the blood gave her life. It gave her life. And sometimes we think of the blood, and we certainly understand the death of Christ, but blood gives us life. The Bible says it. Our body verifies it. The blood services 40 trillion cells in our body. That's what your blood does this morning. It feeds them with renewable supplies of oxygen, amino acids, salts, minerals, sugars, and more. And then the blood takes the unclean things, the waste, the discarded chemicals, and cleans our body. Even in our communion service this morning, the scripture that was read about the vine and the branches, you understand that the fruit of the vine, the color red, right, it symbolizes the blood. And when we think about the vine, those branches do not have life unless the vine surges through with the sap that gives life. This is the point. It is not just Jesus' shattered and scarred body and shed blood, but it's Jesus' shared body and blood that we celebrate this morning. Like the bread and cup, like the body and blood, it gives life. The point of all of this this morning is that there is no life without Christ. We must be sustained spiritually and nourished by him. And my challenge this morning for God's people is don't be ignorant like the 5,000 plus who had no concept of the power of the life of Christ. 
The communion service this morning reminds us that Christ is not dead. He is not removed from us, but alive and not only present with us, but Christ is present in you. And it is his life this morning that gives life. Like bread, like blood, he gives strength, energy, and life. And it all comes from his reserves. This is our Jesus this morning. So, we come here, and the truth is, as we view this past week physically, and now spiritually, we come starving. We have been feasting on the husk of this world that has no nourishment, no strength, no help. It is empty, wasted, meaningless bread. The world's dreams, its charm, its glitter, leaves us famished, weak, anemic, emaciated, and empty. We need the life of Christ and the cleansing blood. Spiritually, we feel ourselves at times shortened, a shortness of breath, a weak pulse, a paleness within our spiritual life. We need to be cleansed by Christ, cleansed of the sin, of the gossip, of the lust, of the greed, of the pride, of the self-righteousness. And it is only Christ who meets our deep spiritual needs in our life. And so this morning, as we think about the shattered body and the shed blood, I want us to also think about the shared life of the body and blood of Christ. And as we partake today of the Lord's table, as we spiritually take the body and the blood of Christ, understand it is only through Christ and his life within that we live. And so, spiritually partake, spiritually be refreshed, spiritually be fed, spiritually be cleansed, and spiritually understand that Christ is the bread of life. He has given his body, he has given his blood for his people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the elements before us, the reminder that in your body and in your blood, you give life. You are not distant. You are not far away. You are not out there somewhere. But Lord, you are with us today. And for your people, you inhabit within. Lord, your spirit takes residency. It abides, he abides in us. And we thank you. And Father, now as we partake of the bread and the cup this morning, I pray that we would think about our shared life with you. And I pray that it would nourish us. I pray that it would encourage us. I pray that it would strengthen us so that we can be refreshed this morning as this world battles against us, as we become weary and faint and anemic. I pray that this service this morning will rejuvenate us will bring us life. We'll understand that we, again, are in Christ, and he is our strength and our source. We love you. We ask all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.